There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we made it. <laughs> Anybody not live, made, that means nothing to you. <laughs> Anybody who saw us uh, struggle the last half an hour to try and kick this thing off, you, you all feel our pain and know what we mean. But uh, we made it, guys. We're here. We're back on the weekly show. The Ducks won both their games this week and are on a six-game winning streak. And I apologize ahead of time for anybody who has to watch this video after the fact and have Pat stare at them for an hour and a half because Pat doesn't have a webcam. So we've just inserted his face into the show to, to make you make you have to sit through that, I guess. I don't, I don't even know at this point. It's great. It's great. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Everything's going fine. I think that... Uh, I think that uh, that's the best picture the best you can put of me there. Like, that's probably going to be my LinkedIn be profile, my LinkedIn profile, profile. profile. I'm so glad that we can have everybody live for two yeah. production well, meetings. Well, apparently I was echoing for the beginning part, so this won't even make it under the cut. So welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's so good. So good. No, we won't. I don't hear any echo at all. You know how – I'm this not going to get into this because this will, this will act like another production echo. meeting. But I remember how I was in – before we went live and I said, oh, remember when it wasn't echoing before and now I have to do this so it doesn't echo? It went back to doing that. So perfect. We had Eddie Inception yeah, no, and everyone didn't like it. Okay. Anyway, we Inception. are now, hopefully, uh, error-free on the show. And uh, we're back with a weekly update. The Ducks are 8-4-3. and three. They've won six in a row. Won their last two games this week, which I guess there's one more game tomorrow against Vancouver. So we'll see how that goes. But we'll talk about that one next week. But how do you guys feel? How do you guys feel about the, the Ducks this year being fun, winning games? Sorry, I'm I'm trying to figure out how this is the first three game win streak under like Ethan. How do you, how do you guys feel? Games. And it's fun now, and nobody says six. anything. It's. I thought Steve was going to pop off there. I, I, it's probably my favorite thing that could have possibly happened. I don't expect this team to make the playoffs. Not at all. I don't have that expectation. So I'm just enjoying the red. It's been great. It's fun. Uh, it's nice to see that uh, we were all right about Samson, and uh, we were all wrong about Troy Terry mostly. So 
I like that. Um, we all? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. You don't oh, come on. You want to say that you were on this Troy Terry hype train for years and that you expected him to, to be so great. And now he's, he's shooting at like 40%. That's true. And you that's think true. that's like, think that's there's really sustainable. That's great. There's, there's literally no middle ground between you saying he's garbage and won't be in the league for long and me going and, or, and him being apparently a, a heart candidate. There's is literally there ever, no middle ground. Is there's there ever been a middle ground with our arguments? There's not. First of all, we don't argue. We have mild disagreements. Lovers so when he, when he starts shooting 13% again and not putting up uh, a ridiculous points pace, it's still going to be fun. He's still better than what I thought he was going to be. Is anybody so complaining about Leon Dreisaitl shooting 33%? Yeah. No, because he's a cheater. He plays in Canada, so he's cheating. There are some guys that have high shooting percentages. What is the, like the highest shooting percentage for a guy who scored? I wonder who scored over twenty goals in a season and what he finished with a, a shooting percentage. Like, okay. I don't think you could find that. I think it was Alex Tangay. I think Alex Tangay consistently shot over a seventeen or eighteen percent. Wait a minute, I'm looking this up right now because I need. Alex if Alex Tangay is like a career fifty-five percent shooter, I'm going <laughs> to well, die. Like, happy. I was. What is oh he? Oh my god, dude! Yeah. His career is eighteen six. Yeah, he's got a, a how many twenty plus goal seasons did he have? Decent amount. Uh, he had a few, second. right? Uh, Sprinkled between Calgary and maybe Colorado. I don't know. Yeah, sorry, I, my computer hates me right now. Uh, well, but but about Troy Terry in the kind of the same sense there. I had mentioned this on I think it was the first first episode for Ducks Morning Brew is that he could potentially be a guy who falls around 17, 18, 19% in shooting percentage just because of the way he gets those chances. Like, he's not a volume shooter. He's only only has 33 shots on the season. But it's not like, you know, the, the, the goals that he scored, he's in the right area. Or he makes a nice move, or he puts himself in the, the best position to score possible, and he just converts on those chances. I don't think it's out of the question for him to be a guy who, who has an abnormally high shooting percentage. Obviously not 33%. That's going to fall down at some point but I, I can see him possibly being near 20 percent like I, I think it's it's possible for the just for the style of play that he has yeah I mean I could see that like I I think there's a chance he could be in that 14 15 range but I don't I think one of the things that we're seeing right is that like he's increased his volume of shots and like he's scoring more goals obviously on that but like like you said like he's also getting really good opportunities and so the question will be as his finishing just you know goes down to something normal like is that going to affect his ability to get shots on goal is that going to affect his kind of going in into those areas to be successful like I, I don't think it will he seems playing a pretty steady and sustainable level like sustainable style of play right now like I don't think there's anything about what he's doing on a nightly basis other than literally just the points that's unsustainable so i i could see him settling into like 13 or 14 i don't think he'll get much higher than that just because i don't know that the opportunities are going to be there like as this team improves i don't know that or as the wheels come shooting. on is he going to get those same chance tangay had two seasons he got over three 20%. seasons he shot over 20 percent. four seasons five i'm counting him shot over 20 percent, something like that Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a pretty special play. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, 
I like I said, I'm just happy with this production now. I, I don't think it's sustainable for the long term, but I think he falls somewhere in the middle. I just, I, you know, that, it is what it is. I think it's great. We we might as well yeah, talk no, about no. it now because like we're going to get into Troy Terry and his 13 game point streak later. But if we're already talking about him now, we might as well get into it. And like, how how real is this from Troy Terry then? In him being a potential 60 to 70 point player, a guy who shoots near 20 percent. Obviously, he's not gonna you know be on a point streak for the rest of the year, but you know to be in that company of a top twenty twenty five score in the NHL, do we like? I know it's early, but do we think that's possible? Well, I think it depends on who he plays with, right? Because like what him and Getzy have right now is pretty special. Like I think Getzy's been pretty rejuvenated. Like I think even you know Stevens mentioned it that like the thirty six year old is playing like he's twenty six. Like he just looks like a better player than we've seen in four or five years. And, you know, I, I, I feel like all of us have largely been pretty um, complimentary of him, even as the team has kind of slid down a little bit, but, you know, if, if he ends up playing with, you know, Zegris maybe then, yeah, maybe then this kind of scoring is sustainable because he'll be playing with someone that's going to do the kind of things that gets, does as far as drawing attention, looking to make plays, um, and just kind of being exciting and aggressive in the offensive zone. If he slots down and maybe he plays with a Lundestrom, then I don't know that he's a 70-point player. Um, but I don't think I, – I would say it wouldn't surprise being between 50 and 70 points on a regular basis. Um, and I don't think that's terrible because his defense is at a high enough level at this point that if he can hit 60 points in a season, like that's huge. So I don't think he really is that guy. I, I think he's more of a 40, 50 point guy. This is my personal opinion. And it, it, it kind of goes along with what you're saying. I think a lot of the opportunities being given to him uh, by space created, obviously with Getzloff, not to say Terry, not to say Terry doesn't put in work. As you mentioned, his, his defense is a his defensive part of his game is really, really good. Um, so obviously uh, there's more than just one facet to him, but I really feel like it's it's going to be a situation where when Getzy is no longer able to give those opportunities or they hit a slump in there, is Terry really going to be able to carry the, his load offensively and continue this kind of pace? Maybe not even this pace, but 75% of this pace? I don't, I don't know. It remains to be seen, but I just don't see it happen. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be who he plays with, right? Because, like, I'm trying... <laughs> one of the things that, like, I've been trying not to do is mention, like... Lambert or Wright or Bedard, you know, Michikov and stuff like that. But like, if this team is in a position to get one of those guys in the next two years, and now you're looking at having basically able to split Zegris and Terry um, and still put Terry with someone who has that kind of very high you know, potential and upside, then I think he can be this guy, right? I just think it's going to be about what the rest of the roster, like, I don't think he can do this on a line by himself with Isaac Lundestrom, but I think he can be this guy, like somewhere between being a guy who can do this on his own and being a guy that can only do this with star players is where he's at to me. Like he's kind of right in that middle. Like, He's not a true, like, passenger on the lines, but he's also not, like, I, I don't think yet he's a true line driver. And so it's going to be about, like, who he's able to play with. And, you know, 
I mean, look, he took a huge jump this year. It's not out of the question. He takes another one next year, and now maybe he is that guy. But uh, I would be inclined not to count on it. I think who he is at this point is already enough to be thankful for. Yeah, I think everything about his play this year is for real, except I think the volume of goals that he's scored. Um, you know, we already talked about the shooting percentage. There's no way that sustains at 33%. And you know, I, I just can't see him being a consistent 30 to 40 goal scorer. I mean, he could prove me wrong. And Troy Terry's done nothing but proved us wrong over the last couple of years, especially to begin this year. But I, I think his playmaking is not going to change. You know, the, the driving force of his play and, and you know how good his underlying numbers have been over the last couple of years has been due to his playmaking. And then for some reason this year, the goals have just come. And again, a lot of that is him getting in those right areas uh, or, or kind of contributing in a way that he finds himself you know, as the go-to option on that line, right? He's playing with Getzloff right now and Henrique. Neither of them are really shooters, and he's kind of become the go-to option on that line. And like you said, Stephen, then now it depends. He's not going to play with Getzloff for the foreseeable future. Maybe this is the last year of Getzloff's career, right? We don't know if he's going to retire. If he goes up with Zegras, then potentially he becomes a shooting option on that line. But when you've got guys like Pastuav and Perot coming up in the system, he's not always going to be that guy. So we could see a shift where he still puts up a lot of points, but it's more because of his playmaking. We see some more assists than goals and he could be, you know, just because he has a good finishing ability and gets in those areas, he could still be a 20 goal scorer, but it's so early to tell right now. Like I, and it was a loaded question to put in front of you guys to say, can he be a 60 to 70 point guy when this is his breakout year? You know, we can, we can look at that two or three seasons down the road and, determine from there whether he can kind of be this player because it's all about consistency and this is the first real sample size of consistency from Troy Terry that we've had I mean yeah like the thing I was going to say right is like when you're looking at like guys who are going to put up 60 70 points they need to do one of two things right they need to either put up 30 goals or they need to put up about 40 assists and like if you asked me, I would be inclined to say that I could see him being a guy who can put up 35 to 40 assists a season. The question will be, you know, how does that add up to the rest of it? How much of it is on the power play and stuff like that? Like, I think there's definitely a version of him that can be a 60, 65 point guy. I, I don't know that he can be that 70, 75, 80 guy. And I know, you know, five points doesn't seem like a huge gap. And as we're seeing right now, like you catch a, you catch a hot streak one way or the other. And that's the kind of thing that puts you over, right? Like everybody remembers Perry catching hot, hitting 50 goals and winning the heart. Like, so, you know, the idea that he could hit that high once or twice in his career, I don't think is out of the question, but if we're looking for what in his production is sustainable, I would be more inclined to expect him to be a, 35 to 40 assist guy more than a 30 goal guy yeah I I could see that and you know either way the the fact is this year is early on he is leading the Ducks to wins he is their main offensive option led the Ducks again over these last two games this week at three goals and two assists for five points and as we mentioned still on that 13 game point streak which doesn't show any signs of slowing down because the Ducks best line since the start of the season and definitely over the last 10 games or so has been Henry Getzlaff and Terry. You know, it's not really even close when you look at the numbers and how impactful these guys have been and Getzlaff in his own right. 
has started to produce offensively and had a bit of a resurgence in his career. Four assists, was uh, second on the Ducks in points over the last two games. And he's got one goal and ten assists in his last eight games. And he is, I think, one one point off being a point-per-game player. So, I mean, never would have thought it would have been Troy Terry who would have revived Getzlaff's career, but they have found some chemistry, and we've talked about endlessly over the last few seasons and how valuable it will be for the Ducks to find chemistry with some of these young players. And we saw a bit of it last year with Comtois, Zegers, and Terry, and that got split up this year, and now it's Getzlaff and Terry. And Henrik's no passenger on that line either. He's contributing in his own way and still putting in yeah, points. Yeah, he is. And no, he's a passenger. He, he is in the sense when you look at the, what uh, what Terry and Getzlaff are doing on their own, but he has been valuable piece to that line, and you know, there's no question that they're going to be the driving force for the Ducks this year offensively. And it's an encouraging sign because I think they're still going to do well. Like they'll tail off, like we said, Terry will tail off a little bit eventually. But we're all expecting Zegris to get going and Comtois to get going at some point. Raquel and Silverberg will come back in the lineup, and then you've got some you know some supplementary pieces there that are going to add to the secondary scoring on this team. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, like this is starting to look pretty good. The pieces are falling in place. Yeah, don't you aren't you guys a little worried at all about uh, what that what this kind of has shown for Zegris? Are you guys concerned at all about his production? No, a lot of focus on Terry. Z hasn't had a lot of pressure. Um, I know we're going to talk about him playing with Delorier, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, but I think one person that we haven't talked about at all during this, at least not much, is John Gibson. I mean, he's he's been really damn good. And it was fun to see when he wasn't really damn good, we still scored seven goals, which was uh, pretty awesome, right? Like, Gibby kind of wins the game for us on Tuesday in the 3-2 win in overtime. Um, and then uh, the Ducks kind of battle their way through Seattle and come up with seven goals out of nowhere, which is kind of insane. I, mean, I can't remember the last time this team had seven goals in a, in, in a game in a season. Yeah. Well, we so, talked about that too, right? I think, is that if the, the Ducks can't, like Gibson can't do this forever, and the last couple seasons showed that, there's going to be games where the Ducks are going to have to give him some help, and we have, it's been a while since we've seen that. So it's nice to see that in the game against Seattle. Okay, yeah, Gibson wasn't his best. He still played pretty, pretty good, but the Ducks bailed him out, and they scored seven goals, right? Like that. Didn't you see that coming, though? Like, everyone started saying, like, a 960 save percentage after Tuesday, and all yeah. of a sudden you're like, yeah, okay, that's, that's awesome. And then we go to the next game against Seattle, and we're like, oh, there's a dud. <laughs> it's like it's, <laughs> every year, right? He starts off and is on a tear to start the season, it seems like. And then the Ducks fall back to earth, and they cool down, and uh, and, and then think, you know, the, the wheels fall off for John Gibson. Like, you know, I don't know if the confidence goes out the window, but you know what I mean. Like, we, we've seen it over the last two or three seasons with, with Gibson. But this year, it's, there's a bit of a different feel. There's a lot more support offensively from this team. You know, jokingly put yeah. out the graphic, uh, I think it was today or yesterday, about where the Ducks are in goals per game. They're fifth in the league in goals per game. And, and I'll, you know, I'll eat shit on, on my, um, my take at the beginning of the year. I was like, there's no way the Ducks are going to be able to jump from dead near dead last in scoring two into the top 10 or even top half of the league and i know it's early but you know we're still it's still 14 games and they're fifth in the league in scoring so it's not something we really expected for them yeah but i mean like i don't know like they're 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 kind of a middle thing right because like yeah like we didn't think that they were going to be able to jump this high up the thing but also what we've seen are two things that to an extent you were hoping for but you can't count on and one of that is a jump from a young player which is Troy Terry and the other is the power play working power play is really good right now power plays go cold so 
you know, it's just by nature. Like, I think like a great power play is like 30%, which is, you know, I'm, I'm like, just three out of 10, I, you know, the way statistics work, like you're going to have 10 for 10 and you're going to have 0 for 10 and then you're going to have all the stuff in the middle. I think what you're seeing is that right now this team is playing with a, a level of confidence that they can be in these games. And I think that they're feeding each other, right? Gibby is looking in front of him at a team that is playing. I mean, Giordano said it the other in, in the quote, right? Like, bef- I think after the Seattle game where he, all he talked about was just like, they're just, they play with so much more pace than they did in the last couple of years. Like th- they just play faster. They play more aggressively. And that gives, I think Gibson the level of, hope or optimism that he can like tangibly see in front of him that's like all right like you know it's not like years past necessarily where like I can pitch a shutout and it won't matter because you know we could put six guys in the ice at a time they're still not going to score um and then you go the other way and you've got a forward group who knows that Gibby is back there and Gibby's found his groove again you know I've been banging this drum the whole time I just think he gets worn out to do that but if he can have a bad game and they can still win because they put up seven goals. That's huge. And so now what you've got is you've got these two halves essentially feeding into each other and providing an opportunity for the other one to kind of have an off game. And, you know, I think when we get to January, it'll be really interesting to see where this team is at and how that dynamic shifts. But for now, yeah, man, run that shit into the ground. Let's go like (laughs) seven, four, every game. Like I just, let's go for it. I don't care. We picked it. We picked a good game to do the watch along for because you know, not too many games lately for the Ducks have been as high scoring as that one. But the the one thing I did want to touch on because you mentioned like the speed of this team and how quickly they play and how quickly they can get back up the ice and beat you. And I want to talk about at least one play from that uh, that game against Vancouver, the three two win in overtime uh, that got highlighted by pretty much everybody was Jamie Drysdale in overtime to get all the way or he makes a rush up the ice, gets a chance. Uh, throws a backhander on net, and then the puck squirts loose to Vancouver. They get a two-on-one. He skates the entire length of the ice, gets back, stick-checks JT Miller, and plays the puck up to Getzlaff, which leads to, obviously, the, the Troy Terry overtime winner. It Drysdale had a tough start to the season. I think he's come on as of late, and, I mean, it's to be expected from a kid as young as he is, especially the, the amount of minutes he plays on a nightly basis. But that was that was some play by Jamie Drysdale. And uh, it, it, a player it feels like right now is the only player who could make that play from the blue line right now is Jamie Drysdale, which is pretty crazy when you're talking about a 19-year-old playing 20-plus minutes a night. Yeah, he was I up mean, and down the ice on both ends. That was that was a hell of a play. That, you're right. That I kind of got lost, and I didn't even realize it while watching. And then going back and seeing those replays, I was like, oh, I don't know where his legs, like how he got those, because I, he was all the way up, all the way back, all the way up again. Uh, thank God, right? Like. What a hell of a player, and that that kind of highlights his abilities. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I feel like you know, it's the equivalent of watching uh, Zegris kind of do all those weird shootout attempts or passes that he was making in the AHL last year. Right? Is what you're seeing is the thing that we know he's good at, and how he's leveraging that. Like, I, I feel like. You know, I've said it a few times and it might just be, I don't want to repeat myself, but like, I just think for me, when you have a young player like Dreesdale, what you're looking for is the goal. What you're looking for is for them to leverage their strengths. And like, that's a perfect example of what he's good at. 
he, you know, he, he uses his skating there, but he also uses his intelligence and he's able to get close enough and use his stick to break up the play. He knows to go in the other direction that it's important to get that shot on. So, you know, he puts up a little bit of a flub back hand up high, but it's also the kind of play that generates rebounds, which is why he had to bust ass the other direction because it was three on three. So, you know, it's incredibly encouraging for me, I think, to see these flashes of him being really fucking good at the thing that we know he's supposed to be good at. And as the rest of it develops, you know, I I think he still gets caught out of position here and there. Obviously, he's much more of an offensive player than a defensive player, but his stick work is solid. His skating's incredible and, and he gets the game like he's a smart kid. So, you know, over the next, I don't know, 60, 70 games, you're going to see that kind of progress being made towards him, maybe being a a true number one defenseman. So, you know, that would be great, but his ability to impact the game at both ends of the ice, just based on his ability to move at this point is remarkable too. And obviously the, the OT one was a product of the play we just talked about, but even the, the first assist that he had was a nice breakout pass from his own zone which is what you want to see from him, right, is his skating ability on display and him being able to make those home run passes from his own end and up to the, you know, to his teammates up front. So, you know, these are the type of plays that you want to see from him. Everything else is going to come as he gets more mature, as he gets more experience in the NHL. But to have these flashes every now and then and see progress, like a tough start to the season, and then as the Ducks have gotten better, he's slowly become you know, a, a key contributor to this team. Like three assists in the two games this week. He was third on the Ducks in scoring only behind Getzlaff and Terry. And, you know, eventually he's going to be that go-to offensive weapon from the blue line for the Ducks. And it's going to take him some time to get there. But we're seeing some slow progress from him so far. And again, we're talking about a guy we didn't even, you know, we expected maybe this would be his debut season, not last year. Or maybe even a few more seasons out. Like I didn't expect him to be... Mm-hmm you know, in the NHL at this point, let alone playing, you know, as much as he plays and playing on a top pair with Hampus Lindholm, right? So we, you know, have had to kind of curb our expectations a bit in the sense that, like, when he was drafted and even the year after he was drafted, nobody thought this is where he'd be. So it's already amazing the fact that he looks so comfortable and doesn't really look out of place. And, yeah, there's some mistakes here and there. But, you know, the fact that he's even here and playing well enough to not be out of the lineup. Like, there's no question, right? You know, with other guys, Comtois, Steele, you know, a few of the other younger guys, you're like, okay, maybe they shouldn't be playing. Maybe, you know, healthy scratch makes sense as warranted. At no point have I looked at Jamie Dryson and been like, yeah, he probably shouldn't be playing. Like, at, at no point have I felt that way with him. And that's just based on his play and how comfortable he's looked, you know, at, at such a young age to be a, a key contributor for this team. Yeah, I mean, looking at time on ice, Fowler uh, among forwards, like just or among skaters, ignoring the goalies, Fowler is first at twenty three seconds, twenty three minutes. Lindholm is second at twenty two minutes. Dreesdale's third at twenty one. Attenkirk at just under twenty. Like, you know that 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 group is doing a lot of work, and to see Dreesdale already averaging over twenty minutes a game is is impressive, and like. I know there was a lot of like hand wringing in the off season and, uh, and earlier in this season about some of his underlying numbers not being great and him kind of getting caved in. And like, I, I don't want to dismiss that out of hand, but I also think that kind of misses the point of he's played less than 40 games at the NHL level. Like, and the fact that, you know, to most people watching the game, 
doesn't look a net negative to me that's huge like yeah like i think you know some of the underlying numbers and stuff is concerning and so much as like you would always want it to be better but like again like he he hasn't reached 50 games in the nhl and he's already you know having an impact on a nightly basis like that that matters to me like that's worth more than yeah. just and as Brent says here, like last year was awful for the ducks too so it's tough for you you not to have a not so great year when the ducks were as bad as they were and now that they're good you're seeing you know some increased production from some of these players some steps forward and and just the ability to do more on a better team and that's what we've seen from Drysdale. i think obviously there's there's players uh, like we mentioned, come to one steel who haven't taken that step forward, but it, it's about progress. And I think we've seen that obviously from Terry, from Drysdale, from Zegris as well. How, how, how hilarious is this though, that we all talk match shit we about did. this is the same roster as last year <laughs> and how horrible that roster was last year. So the hell's going I, it, on? It's, it's very, <laughs> it's so weird. The, yeah. The and to, to some better, extent, but some guys have gotten worse, know. right? Who got worse? Well, Comtois has not started as... Did, so, okay. Here is my question. Did he get worse, or is he not, not producing? I don't think he has been as impactful this season, but, like, I do think there is something to him playing roughly the same game and just not having the same results, which happens. So, you know, like, if he bounces back and he puts up... I don't know, 15 goals and, you know, 10 or 15 assists in the last 50 games of the season. Like, is everybody going into the offseason less concerned about him? Or are there still issues because of how he started off? And I don't, I don't mean that disingenuously. I, I think they're curious. one in the same in the sense that he got worse and he's not playing well. Because him not playing well means it's been a worse start to the season for him. I don't think, like, as a player, he's gotten worse and regressed. He just hasn't. You know, one hasn't even come out the same as he was last year, and has not taken a step forward compared to a lot of other guys. So it's it's kind of one and the same at that point. Yeah, he sure. has every opportunity, and I think he will at some point to get out of this slump and, and get back to it. Every player, even the best players, have slumps, and I you know it's it's not out of the question that he could come back and and not maybe not have you know a Troy Terry thirteen game point streak, but just to get back to the same player he was last year and being a key contributor for the Ducks. And and as Brett kind of mentions in the chat here like Sam, Sam Steele's still young enough to have a chance to do that as well you know you don't want to give up on these guys just yet uh, you know there's a lot of players that have taken a step forward this year and it's the reason the Ducks have done as well as they have you look at Shattenkirk and Fowler are tied for the league league with Roman Yossi and power play points Troy Terry an obvious one Getzlaff Henrique you know Lindstrom with I think he's at what 10 or 11 points now guys that you didn't expect to be contributing this much offensively have yeah, uh, you know, points, the, it, three and seven. it's okay that a few guys haven't got there because not everybody's going to take a step forward. That's why the Ducks are so much better is all these guys took the steps we've been talking about for the last couple of seasons. The veterans have gotten back to what is supposed over their career normal production for them. Henrique is normally a 40, 50 point guy. He's on that pace. Shattenkirk is normally a lot better than he was in his first two seasons with Anaheim. He's gotten back on that pace. Same with Fowler. You know, same with Getzlaff to some extent as well. And then the kids have taken steps forward, but nobody expected this. I, again, like we, you know, there was always a, a, a realm where the Ducks could be better this year, even with the same roster. But to to jump from near dead last in the league in offense to top five for the power play to all of a sudden break out and and do what it's done, it, it was 
near impossible to predict that. So we we were I'll say we were warranted for for predicting that or being disappointed that the Ducks came in with the same roster and expecting it to be the same as last year. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just the only thing I'll say on Maxine Comtois, it just looks like he's not creating the same amount of, of chances that he was last. He's just not creating as much. And so uh, whatever that reason is, who were his linemates when he has played? I'm, I'm all curious over the place. Who, who he was slotted with. I, I can't imagine he was right. He's so, Lundestrom, all over the place. He's maybe not with the time. most successful players he's being, he's being tagged with, right? Uh, but I don't know. I, I think it'd be nice to see him kind of get back into this on the power play. You know, mega. He's a he's a net front guy a lot of the time. I think that'd be nice to see him mm-hmm. uh, work his way into that. But it, when I watch him this season, he's just not creating that same amount of space and and. Um, you know what I don't get is we talk about Getzlaff and Terry having the chemistry together and Henrik being good, but still kind of a you know a third party passenger on that line. He's contributing, but he's not. You know, there's a duo, a clear duo. We saw that last year with Zegras, Terry, and Comtois. Zegras and Comtois were a clear duo. They had chemistry together. Terry was really good on that line, but he was clearly the third guy. I don't understand why we haven't seen Zegras back with Comtois. And, and you have Zegras and have Zegras Comtois Milano. Like I think that would be a great line. I think Milano's work ethic will go good with, with the two of them. Obviously Comtois or Zegras's creative ability and playmaking ability would be great for a guy like Comtois who what we saw last year made his bread and butter and getting in front of the net and getting in key areas for Zegers to hit him with a pass I think we need to see that for both of them to get going but I mean somehow D'Lo is still with Zegers so okay so here's the thing to that end right I think the one thing to mention is that didn't who started on the left wing um, with Zegris and Terry? What? Or it was Zegris, Raquel. Henrique. And yeah. Henrique. Okay. So, okay. So you see that. So you throw an older guy on there, a little bit more of a do-it-all type, and whatever happens. Then you see D'Lo get put on there. Because he's getting run, D'Lo out there, and again to that extent, D'Lo plays a energetic game. He plays an effort game. He's just gonna not stop moving. He's gonna be all over the place. He's gonna block shots. He's gonna make hits. Like all that kind of stuff. That like, while maybe not perfectly complementary to Zegers' play style offensively, 
it's it definitely makes sense to me that I don't want Zegers getting run every night, so I'd rather put him out there. And, you know, if something goes down, then you've got him kind of there to help, you know. But, like, Comtois has shown the, I don't know, this last week and a half, I guess, he's shown a bit more of a willingness to kind of be that more physical player after the whistle and, you know, stuff like that. Like, he's making big hits and stuff like that. So, But they clearly put Dilo on the line with Z to protect him. Yeah, that's, no, exactly. That, that's, that's exactly what they do. It, yeah, it's it, look. I will say this: it seems disingenuous to me for everybody out there to be like, "I don't get why we're doing this." You know exactly why we're doing this. Zegers weighs a hundred pounds, soaking wet in overalls. Like, and he's has a, taken a few headshots. He's and, yeah. And the Cedric Paquette put him the through season. the boards. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, again, like the fact that this team is being is this successful right now, and Zegers hasn't gone off yet, and he's playing with D'Lo like to me that is very encouraging and I'm not entirely sure that I'm in a rush to break that up lines are doing well enough that I kind of okay with Zegers just kind of continuing to find his feet because it's not like he's not generating chances no he's just not he's just not see but that's my problem so I I understand why they put him with Delore don't get me wrong I get it it's pure protection right after he got run by Paquette and slew foot by Subban I I get it like I understand it but he is not generating chances with Nick Delore now. Like, the numbers are clear. Like, their possession numbers are down 30, 39.66% with Delore, 52.61 without. Expected goals are down to 44% from almost 57% when Zegers is without Delore. Their scoring chances are down to 34% when they play together with from 56% when he's without Delore. And the high danger chances for are almost triple or Less, like 25% high danger chances for percentage with Deloria and 64% without. So he's clearly not getting as many chances and not generating as much offense with Nick Deloria, which makes sense because it's Nick Deloria. So are you protecting him then at the sacrifice of his offense? Yes. I don't yes. think you should yes. at and that's this fine. point. I, I, don't, I, I don't get it. I, I think Maxim Comtois is more than capable to protect him. I don't think I, – I just don't think he ne- – even on Tuesday, when he when he's going to have to fight uh, at some Wilson. point, you again you're handling with kid gloves. I get it. You, you know he's been run a couple games. So if you want to play Delo with him for a couple games and send a message, fine. But it's been going on for a while now, and you're sacrificing your arguably your most talented player uh, offensively to protect him. And I, I no, you like, a good point. You got to you got to let him just go at some point. Like he's a star player. He's going to get run. It happens for every team. At some point, you have to say, "Okay, it's going to happen." We, but we can't, we can't do this at the detriment of his offensive ability because that's going to hurt us. That's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt the team. I, I just, I, I don't get it at this point because every star is going to go through this. Like Patrick Kane went through this. Guys with smaller guys with just an immense amount of skill have gone through this and they've had to go through it. And sure that at times as young players, they've been put with guys for protection, but I, I just don't see why it makes sense when you're sacrificing his offense. If he was still producing exactly the same and putting up the same numbers or close to it. And there's a slight drop off. I can understand, but the drop off in all major categories for him generating offense and, and putting up points for the ducks has dropped off. I just I, I you can clearly see it as clear as day 
So at that point, you got to say, okay, now we can't do this anymore. Maybe every now and then, like if he's getting run three or four games in a row and you want to send out a message for one game to whatever team you're facing next and say, okay, Delorey is going to play with Zegris. We're going to send a message for this game. You know, don't touch this kid. Fine. Every now and then. But you, you got to let him go at some point and, and experience it because he's going to be dealing with this for the rest of his career. You can't play him with Nick Delorey or guys like Nick, Nick Delorey for the rest of his career. He's going to have to go through it. He's going to have to deal with it. Watch, Watch me. Well, then at that point, he's going to become the 40-point the forty point player that Pat expects him to be because he's not going to yeah. be putting up points with Nick DeLore. Well, he's, just, he's always going to be a 40-50 point guy. Come on. I'm Silence equals yes. Way. You I'm guys agree with me. It's perfect. This is great. Sorry, I'm looking at Dauber line, line right now. <laughs> so where do you guys want to, uh, to look ahead here? As far as our Bob Murray takes go, we, we kind of touched on it on our Patreon. Um, this is the big topic we haven't touched on. Yeah, 40 minutes in, we still <laughs> touched on it yet. Not hiding from it, but we had to have you know some detail as to what's going on. Um, I think my take on it kind of just goes the same. If you were on our Patreon show uh, you support, and you were on that live on, on Thursday, it stays the same. Asshole boss. Um kind of made people's lives hell and ever since the Blackhawks situation happened the league was told we better not find or the league told the teams put everyone on notice we better not find out about anything happening that should be reported so instantly this gets reported the Ducks conduct their own investigation then it hire then they go "Ooh, this is not good so they get a law firm to conduct the rest they're like yeah you should probably get rid of this guy so he tenders his resignation but I mean the, the stuff that comes out like calling and texting players and staff after games and and freaking out I mean I'm not trying to make it sound like it's not bad and it's not a horrible work environment, but uh, but yeah, I, I imagine that the, he's not the only GM that does this in the NHL, and it was about time the big angry Bob probably left anyway. Just it sucks he went out on these terms. Yeah, I, I think the thing for me is, you know, like just from a from a hockey perspective, right? Like Bob Murray before this all surfaced was a ring of honor level executive for Anaheim, right? Like he might have been the first executive that you would have done in an Anaheim ring of honor, right? Cause you know, you do the ring of honor because you want to separate from like the actual guys who deserve their jerseys retired and just guys who mean a lot to the franchise in a way that is not quite like re- Jersey retire level. Like Cogliano would have been a perfect guy, right? Like he's the guy that goes in a ring of honor. He's not a guy whose Jersey you retire. To me, Bob Murray, executive level, was that guy for Anaheim. Well, now what we found, ostensibly for the last, you know, 13 years, like, he's been making everybody's lives miserable. And in a way that is... Uh, He threw a chair in the press box where they lost Game 7 in 2009 and injured somebody in that press box. Yes. He's had moments where we probably should have seen that he was like this. No, for sure. That's what I 100% agree, right? And so, like, now what you have to do is, like, separate all the different things. And, like, yeah, it was time for him to probably move on. Yes, it sucks that this is what it took. Yes, it sucks that it took this long for this to become a thing. But, like, I think Getsy kind of said it the other day. Like, this is still kind of the NHL is still kind of going through a culture change, even on a very tame level, right? Because this has been kind of part of the conversation and and understandably so, which is the, 
generational differences um, as far as what is and isn't workplace abuse. And so, you know, there's a, there are probably a handful of people who feel that they were abused by Bob Murray, who Bob Murray was like, I wasn't, I was just tough. And that is just creates a weird thing. But you've also got what very clearly seems to be an issue where people were just genuinely afraid of him in a way that's just unacceptable. Like, you can't be afraid of the executive in that way. And I think the other thing that we've seen here is the the reality of having one man have <laughs> – sorry uh, – him being in charge and being that important. Like, he's the guy. Like, he's been the guy for 13 years. Like, there wasn't anybody – who really could have been in a position to address this with him other than owners and other than Shulman. So over the next six months, I imagine we're going to hear some things from those We're probably going to hear some dirty stuff that comes out of this where you're like, wow, man, you said that or you did that. Yeah, but see, that's going to be a tough one. Like the thing for me is it's like that's all expected and I'm not looking forward to it, but it's not going to really change how I feel because – what he did was unacceptable. The way he treated people was unacceptable. The details don't necessarily make that more or less true, right? What I am very curious about is how do Schulman and the Samuelis respond to this as far as making changes in the way that they engage with hockey operations? Because I said it just last year. Like, I think Anaheim fans needed to be, I, I'll just say it the way I said it, Anaheim fans need to appreciate the degree of hands-off that this ownership provides because we can look around any league and see meddling owners who ruin their team by insisting they're smarter than the guys they have in place. To their credit, the Samuelis have never been that thing. The problem is, is now that we're seeing is they might have been entirely too hands-off and entirely too detached. And so it creates a an accountability gap. And so I am very. Wouldn't curious. you wouldn't you say though that that kind of is is coming out of out of uh, you don't want to fix what's not what's not and things have kind of been broken the past few years, and it kind of it, it pretty much took a, a just horrible string of events that we found out about with, with the Blackhawks they, that they covered up in order for something as. Honestly, it's not minor, but it's nowhere near the level as what happened uh, with Aldrich in, in Chicago, where now this is being reported. I think that this comes to light where people felt like they had a way to say something about the environment they're in, and that's why. But I think I think it, it, the ownership didn't know that Bob was a hard ass. There's no way they didn't know. Right, and that's right? my question, right? Where is the gap? Because there, again, like we've said, there is a difference between just being a hard ass and being abusive. And if they didn't know he was being abusive, I am sympathetic to them not having that information, but it's their response. See, my, my issue with that is it just depends leadership too below Bob as to where they can. Exactly. Who, who, who's, if, if you're a player or a, you know, a staff member who doesn't have a lot of leeway or say or power or whatever it is, is how are you going to go and approach the owners with that conversation about a guy who has, almost as much power as anybody in the organization. Like you're going to walk up to, to Henry Simulelli when you see him in the hallway and be like, Hey, like, listen, this isn't okay. Like you don't have that 
ability necessarily to do that or you know the confidence to to go out and do that because if this guy is if Bob Murray is like they're saying is is threatening job security you know there's only one place you can go and it's not the owners we don't know maybe made that not easily accessible to go and have that conversation with them it's not easy or I would not imagine it's easy to go and have the conversation as with the owners as a a staff, you know, one of the cogs in the machine about a guy who has this much power and this much sway in the organization, because it's your word against his. And this guy has a lot more power than you do to be like, yeah, I didn't do that. Right. And and it makes it a tough situation well, no. at that point, which is, which is why I think this situation with the Blackhawks where it's now, and you know, the NHL hotline is what it is and we won't get too much into that, but it's now hopefully opened up a way for people to speak out and for these issues to get resolved. And this is the first case of that. And we'll have to see how that develops and, and how that continues to go on. But all we know from this is this is a situation that should have been checked a long time ago. It finally has happened. And the right mm-hmm. decision has been made. And Bob Murray no longer is a part of the Anaheim Ducks organization because of the things that he's done. And like you said, Pat, I'm sure not every instance is a, you know as bad as it's put out to be. I'm sure there are situations where you can classify it as him just being, you know, old school hockey guy, hard ass, whatever you want to call it. But clearly there was enough instances in there that he was going over the top, being abusive and you know, mm-hmm. in no instance is threatening job security in any way acceptable. So that's another notch in there. And eventually we'll probably see these stories come out. Like you said, it's just going to continue to get worse. Well, it was pretty telling when you heard three, through guys like Greg Wyshynski on ESPN saying that his sources were like, oh, well, Murray's a Even in playfully like, in articles. Yeah, right. Surprising it came out, but no surprise. That we've we've yeah. saw like the GM, and, he's and always been the GM review article like a, uh, two years ago in The Athletic where they just talked about who's the hardest GM to deal with. And it was like a playful article. And they're like, ah, it's Bob Murray. Like that guy is just, nobody wants to deal with he that sucks. guy. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's, it all adds together to the point where like, okay, yeah. yeah, this makes sense. Like nobody was surprised when it came out that that yeah. it was basically, yeah, no, he's just an asshole. Like he's just rude to everybody and he's verbally abusive and he takes things over the top and he mm-hmm. goes way too far with it. Nobody sat back and be like, Oh, not Bob Murray. No way. It's this guy. Everybody's like, Yeah, yeah. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, I just want to make sure that I'm I'm clear because I a hundred percent agree with everything you said, Eddie, as far as everybody under Murray was not in a position where they would have necessarily felt comfortable to go forward. And that's why my thing is it's the owner's responsibility to create that situation, whether that is, you know, trying to go in and check in and just talk to people and see what's going on, whether it's instituting their own anonymous tip line through HR, like there is a responsibility as the owner of the team to make sure that your employees are in a safe work environment and that's the part of this to me that is i i I will say unfortunate and frustrating because i i really do want to know more about how this all played out how the samuelis got to this point but you know at the end of the day like all that matters is is like now he's gone hopefully whoever they bring in to replace him and hopefully part of the hiring process is like look you're not going to be an asshole right like like you're not just going to like you know get drunk and start haranguing interns at like no, but we know that that guy's taking over is just Solomon. there's no way I, I, I don't know though oh, I, 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 I yeah i'm not he he's the front runner right like jeff solomon is the I mean, leading I'm candidate really can you really see like dave Nonis 
Like, really? Going to put oh, him I, back? I don't think like, Gabe Nonis is no in, in the running no. at all. He's not going to get that position. I mean, I don't think Madden's yeah, going to get it. If it's an internal hiring, it is yeah. Solomon. But I think there are more than a handful of people outside of the organization that will be legitimate. It's indicative that they're waiting this long. They're going to draw this process out and wait to the summer because they're waiting to see who's available at that time when they go through the interview process. Mm -hmm. There's no interviews being made. And they're probably also going to see how Solomon handles this. He has full reign. Mm -hmm. How does he handle the the trade deadline? What's he do with his vets? How does he yep. handle the I kids? think I said this the other day. Like, That's this very, is, very important things that are going to be happening here in the next This is an months. audition period for Jeff Solomon. Absolutely. And they're going to yeah. see what he does. And it's not indicative of the Ducks' play at all. It's what he does and how he handles the trade deadline and key situations. Maybe the draft, if they get that far, free agency, contract extensions, everything like that. They're going to see how he handles and how he does. And there's going to be obviously a lot more you can see behind the scenes that we won't see that will determine that. And that will go into the interview process. And he'll be, obviously, he'll have an interview and they'll talk to him. And I think he'll still be the front runner. But there'll be other guys that they interview as well. And there'll be a handful of names in the mix. And they're going to wait until the offseason to see who's available and take this process very slow, which I think they should. I don't think they should just hand Jeff Solomon the job without exhausting all their options mm-hmm. because this is an important decision for the ducks they haven't had to make this decision in a very long time it's been bob murray for you know the last decade plus so this is a decision that they shouldn't handle lightly and they should take their time with and they should interview more than just one candidate and not just hire from within because it's easier to just hire from within so i i think jeff solomon is potentially the right guy for the job i think he has enough experience to be that guy I think his mindset and the way he approaches the game is a modern style, which I think could fit the you know the players in the in the approach that the Ducks are taking here. So he checks a lot of boxes, but there's also a lot of other guys who do that as well. And you never know who you're passing up on unless you have those conversations and meet those people and see how they fit your organization. So I'm I'm glad for me at least that they're approaching it this way because I think it is the best way for them to approach it because this is a major decision. This is. This is the biggest decision the Ducks have right now for the future of their franchise is determining who the next general manager is. Not contracts, not trades, not the draft, not anything else. This is not even is Dallas Higgins going to be the coach next year. This is the most important decision the Ducks have had in the last ten to fifteen years, and they need to take their time with it. Yeah, See, every- I feel like it's one of those positions where they go, "Hey, so and so just got fired. We're going to put in a uh, an internal job opening, but make it public." Don't worry, the job's yours. That's just what it feels like to me. I feel like yeah, that's, that's going to be the case. Like, we're going to yeah. pretend like we're going to be interviewing everybody, but we brought you in for a reason. There's a reason why he's in a rim and not Martin Madden and not Dave Nonis. They're still assistant general managers, and they were here prior. Uh, that's why That's why it points to that to me. I would be surprised if they go outside the org. I would. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the players, too, with the staff, right? We just got, we just got done talking about a, a guy who has an alcohol problem, who is a GM and an asshole here for a, over a decade. No longer here. The, you're going to want someone to bring in uh, that's that's everyone's familiar with who they like. So unless they don't like these guys internally, I, I would be hard pressed if they bring someone in from the outside or from the outside. Yeah, but, I, mean, I I will say this: if it's an internal hire, I don't think it's anybody but him. If you want to say that at this point in time, if for no other reason than he's already there, he has a track record as an executive, and he's going to have the opportunity to just be the be the guy for until this is over, I think if you made Solomon the odds-on favorite to walk away with this job, I think that's correct. But there's talk about Mark Bergevin not being happy in Montreal. There's Jeff 
Gordon, who doesn't have a job. Apparently, Kevin Weeks wants to be a GM. Apparently, oh, George boy. Peros wants to be a GM. Like, mm. you've got Michael Fuda and Eric Tolsky over in Carolina. Like, there are always executives. You've got, you know, I think one of the Rutherford guys is, has a job. You know, Ray Shiro. Like, there's just always going to be people who who are going to have an opportunity to surprise. Um, and so... You know, I, I think I would take Solomon over the field, but I don't think that the gap is that big. But real quick, does anybody have anything they want to say about, like, the the, the situation leading to Bob Murray resigning? Does anybody have anything else they want to add? No, I, I think it's it's, no, okay. it's it's all out there. I, I mean, you know, we'll continue to get more details on it, but it is what it is. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, he it's the right decision was made. He's no longer a part of the organization. He's hopefully getting the help that he needs, you know, uh, for a personal level. Because you know, as much as he's been an asshole clearly to a lot of people, at the end of the day, we should all hope that he gets the help he needs and that he becomes a better mm-hmm. person from it. So you know, there isn't too much left to say on it. And I think the best thing to do is now approach this from okay, what's next for the organization? What what are the next steps here for them to continue on and continue to build hopefully a competitive team? Okay. Yeah, I don't see a reason in discussing Bobby. Okay, so, perfect. Here's my question. I was thinking about this on Thursday, but I saved it to tonight because, or today, because I think it just makes more sense for this show than what we were doing Thursday. What do you guys think, I want both of you, think the first thing Jeff Solomon should be trying to do right now is? Trade his vets. Yeah, I, th- I think you should be analyzing the roster and det- and essentially along the same lines as what Pat there Pat said there. Uh, analyzing who's on this roster, what he has, what the value of these players are, talking to other GMs, seeing what's out there, and then eventually making a decision on some of these players that he has to make a decision on sooner rather than later. Guys we've talked about before, Raquel, Manson, Lindholm. He needs to start that process now and start having those conversations for himself because you know a lot of these conversations I'm sure he was privy to under Bob Murray, but he needs to now start having these conversations himself and finding out what these players are worth, what other GMs think, what's out there, what's available, uh, because he doesn't have a ton of time before he's going to have to make a decision on some of these guys. So I think that should be the first thing he does here is just evaluating his roster, talking to other GMs, and, and figuring out what the you know next course of action is. Yeah, I think for me, it's Lindholm. Like, just full stop, nothing else. Because, like, to me, I don't see a situation in which Raquel and Manson are on this team next year unless they come back in free agency. I Hmm. think they're almost guaranteed to get traded at this point. I think the question now is, what is Lindholm? Where does he fit into the organization and what does his next contract look like? Like, because to me, that is the biggest question mark, right? Like, because, you know, we talked about it a little bit on the, on the Prospects episode. Like, there are attacking defensemen in this pipeline right now. What there aren't are a lot of very stable defensive types in the system. You know, I mean, one of them was Hunter Drew, and he's a forward now. So, you know what I mean? Like, I just think, and if they don't think that they can bring him back, then they need to move him out and see what they can get and all that kind of stuff. But I think Lindholms is singularly above everything else at this point because 
the way the style of game he plays is unique on the roster and his ability to be impactful on this team over the next five years is unique to the other guys as well. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with that too. I think Lindholm should get a a bigger focus than Raquel and Manson. I think for all three of them, Mm -hmm. you have to figure out what, what your approach is to them fairly quickly here. Are you going to keep them? Are you going to move them? Uh, And if it's the latter, what are, what are their values out there? What are the options you have available? Which teams are interested? What are they willing to give up? Because those are conversations you're going to have to continue to have for the next couple months until it materializes into a trade. I don't think you make any move now, no matter what, but you have to start thinking about that and what your approach is going to be with these players. And, and in my opinion, and, and obviously you know, Jeff Solomon's a lot smarter man. He's in the position than I am. But you got to make a decision early here on what your approach is going to be with these guys. Are you planning on keeping them around long-term, or are you planning on moving them? And then from there, develop a plan on how you want to approach that. I don't think you can leave it in limbo and say, oh, I might move them, I might not, I might resign them, I might not, and especially with Lindholm. If you're going to have a conversation about you know contract and term and, and value and how much it's going to come down to, that's a conversation you have to at least start thinking about now. And then approaching it later. I don't think you approach the player into the offseason, but you need to make a decision if you're going to have him around. And if you are, what the likely term and cap it's going to be and how he's going to fit into your roster and who needs to go out to make that fit. And you know that's a decision, especially for Lindholm, if you're thinking of keeping around. That needs to be made relatively soon. because He's getting 8 by 8. Yeah. And, and if he is, right, that, that impacts any decisions you make for the rest of the season at the deadline in free agency, you got to make that determination now if you're going to keep them around or not. And that maybe goes with talking with the player's agent, seeing where they're at. If, if it is true and Lindholm wants to test free agency and that's the route they want to go, then you have to resign to the fact that maybe you have to trade him. And then you could have those contract discussions potentially want, you know, in free agency, if he's gone and talked to other teams and allowed him that courtesy, and then he wants to come back you can do that then, but you need to find out early on here what the plan is and then start you know, making your decisions and your plan based off that. For sure. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're 100% right. I think he's the most interesting one at this point, right? I mean, you know, I think him and Gibby at this point are the two most interesting players because to me, they're the two players who can be the most beneficial even with this next group. Mm-hmm or the most effective and impactful, even with this next group. Um, You know, but if they don't necessarily think that those two guys' timelines are quite where they're at, because, you know, maybe they're looking at this and they're going, yeah, we can't, we can't expect Gibby to be this great this much and get this kind of quality backup goaltending and have Troy Terry on a point streak and only, what that means is we're second in the Pacific, which is bad. Such a bummer that uh, Gibby came into this organization probably about five early. Yeah, you know yeah, what? Like about five years too early. If he had been like in his second or third season now, then this is this is like a like the prime time uh, for this team to kind of be going forward. It's going to be really, really uh, something to look at uh, how this team performs if he remains here in Anaheim, which I hope he does. But uh, he's 100%. got a great cap hit too. But, you know, he also wants to win. So that's going to be – there's a lot of question marks. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Steve, with uh, Lynn Holman, Gibby. Um, the other guys, we've all kind of talked about it nauseum about they need to leave. <laughs> we need to find yeah. a way to get rid of the contracts. So, and yeah. there's a lot more to yeah. it, right? 
player uh, player personalities, leadership qualities, those all do matter. And when you talk about a, about a group and developing a core, so we'll see what that, what happens here. But I, I still think it's uh, as we've all agreed, it's this is um, this is Solomon's uh, chance. See what happens here in the next six months and see what the Ducks do. But you know, guess we'll get there first. Yeah, no, this is this is his tryout, man. This is this is his chance to prove that he's the guy who can do this and, and be the and next with... Brian Burke bring <laughs> fighting back to Anaheim we'll see we'll see that's, <laughs> that's true because we haven't had enough of that Eddie I've been noticing really quick uh we don't talk about a lot of Patreon stuff and uh, we kind of have been lately we've had a number of people join Discord recently that I think we should probably give a shout out to <laughs> I've seen probably like four or five new Patreon yeah, people I gotta, in the last week or so. I got to put together so a awesome. list of everybody, but I know uh, recently Tony literally just joined during the show. So shout out to Tony if you're listening right now and you joined because we mentioned the watch along or, or anything like that. So shout out to Tony. I know we had um, goes by GST in Discord. So welcome to uh, to the Patreon. And we had Ferda Ducks in Discord as well who joined. I. I can check Patreon and get your real names, but I figured I, you'd rather go by what you have classified yourself in as Discord. So, welcome to everybody. If I'm missing anybody, I will get you. I have to put together a list. We are missing. Patreon's weird. Whenever you log in, I want you to log into your email and verify that you're the correct user. It's like you can't just go check it like you can on Facebook. So, yeah, we'll make sure we get shots, uh, shout outs here uh, in the next day or so. Yeah. Uh, last bit of news before we get into our predictions. I do want to say, because Isaac Linderstrom left uh, Thursday's game with an injury, he was skating today. He was skating at practice with Come to One Silverberg. So, that could be an interesting line we see for uh, the Vancouver game tomorrow. God, that would rock. How the fuck was that not a player safety issue? With Linderstrom? I think it was just precautionary. How the that fuck he was, was that not a... out of the game last night? Oh, oh you mean the, the hearing? Yeah. No, 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 no. What he's saying is, how is he not. How was Lozon not suspended a game? That. Yeah, I, it was blatantly yeah, shot to the head. It's, it's the NHL department. Yeah, he didn't have the so what, what are you expecting here? Consistency? Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Like, yeah. what the hell? I, if it was Zegers, does he get two games? Like, I think if it's Zegers, <laughs> they shoot him. <laughs> like, I just think there's like, just someone on. like on it was the head. Such a just, cheap shot. Just someone just going. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, take him out. Okay, great. And then, and then that's it. I just wish Delos or Manson's uppercut would have landed a little more flush. It, was nice. it wasn't as hey. flush as I wanted. Ooh. You know what? Honestly, honestly, if we get another fight like that, Patty, me and you have to do an entire Patreon episode <laughs> just breaking down the fight. I'm here for it. Because it was beautiful. It was. Oh it was. I just wish was... it would have dropped right. him. That would have been great. That yeah, I haven't seen Manson whip someone's ass like that since Geo. That let's uh, let's make our predictions here for the next three games. Ducks play tomorrow uh, against Vancouver. All three are home games. They play Tuesday against Washington and Thursday against Carolina. Stephen, what are your predictions for the Ducks this week? Ofer. Are you being realistic? Because I know it's wow. it's part of your course I, to I, say Ofer, but I'm supposed to go to the game on Tuesday. I hope they win. I mean. <laughs> Because it's, it's Vancouver, Washington. I think they'll beat Vancouver. I think I don't think they're beating Washington. I don't know that they're going to beat Carolina. I'll that, say they go one and two. Uh, I don't think they're beating Carolina, but I think they have two wins. And I, I'm nervous Tuesday's about Tuesday. Ovi's on a tear right now. So. I'm, yeah. 
Dude, I, yeah, I swear I'll go two, two goals against the Ducks every time. Yep, uh, I'm going with uh, <laughs> Fresh Flock in the chat here. I'm saying they're 1-1-1. One, one, and one. I think they win against Vancouver, lose in shootout overtime against Washington, and lose to Carolina, uh, unfortunately, to probably Freddie Anderson that night. But uh, oh, we'll see some good games at least. Does he get, does he get no, booed? No, I don't no. think so. You're going to boo him? They can't boo him. I'm going to boo him. Yeah, Why would you boo him? Because he ruined Game 7 for the Blackhawks uh, when I was there. He ruined it. His play was terrible. Yeah, I'm sure he was the sole contributor to that game. We Our should definitely Western be mad for him for something 7. he did five years ago. I think that's appropriate. Pretty mad about it still. Yeah, never I forget. can tell. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> I'm going to wear blue. Uh, anything else, guys? Oh, I'm tapping. Not supposed to tap. Yeah, last thing I wanted to say real quick. Uh, for everybody that is tuning in now and hasn't wasn't there uh, on Thursday when we talked about it a little bit. I just want to say uh, Eddie is doing a really, really wonderful thing right now with the Ducks Morning Brew 12 to 15 minute videos that Eddie's putting together, just kind of hitting some quick hits for what's kind of going on in Ducks land. And I just think they've been really great. And I think they're a really cool uh, addition to kind of what we're doing here and what we want to try to do. And I just want to give Eddie some public love and tell everybody to check that out. Uh, they're on YouTube, and uh, you know we tweet the link out every morning once Eddie's done doing his job. So Monday, yep. Monday through Friday, he gets us out there. Good job, Ed. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good um, little bit of information to get people in between the shows. Uh, I mentioned the only thing I want to mention too. I know we just kind of get shout, a shout out to a couple people here, but uh, we're definitely going to do another watch along here soon. Um, mm-hmm. Would love to do one if we can. I don't know. I don't know if I can make one this week, but next week would be awesome. And the three, you, maybe you guys and Jay want to do one, but those are so much fun. And then we'll, we'll have to get a pucks and brews here and uh, maybe next weekend. Yeah. That'll be a fun one too. Time to talk about the league. Yeah. Right. We, we haven't I mean, there's yet. been a lot to talk about. We haven't, haven't got to it yet, but yeah, if you, if you are new to the show or want to check out the Patreon at any point here, we do have our flagship show pucks and brews on there, which is like Pat said, we normally talk about the NHL, sometimes duck stuff. We combined it with a watch along, on Thursday to watch the Seattle game, which was a lot of fun. So like Pat uh, said, we're going to try and do a few more of those just to kind of figure out where that's going to land, whether that's going to actually be live on Twitch and outside of Patreon or part of Patreon. We have to determine kind of what's best and talk with our Patreon members and find out what's best for them because Crowdcast, as we mentioned earlier on the show, cut out two hours in and we had to relaunch it and get everybody back in there. Minor, minor uh, miscon- inconvenience compared to what happened at the beginning of this show, but still, we're we're still figuring out where the best place is for that. But even if you subscribe to the Patreon, we will have uh, our regular pucks and brews as well as a lot of other bonus shows, and you get to join the Discord, which is a lot of fun uh, throughout the season. Kind of talk. Uh... Yeah, and you get random yeah. free tickets if your local Jimmy got yeah. glass seats. Jimmy said that was the <laughs> the best uh, thing he's ever gotten since joining the Patreon. The main reason he joined the Patreon. So. He said it was worth every yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah. was worth every penny <laughs> love it uh, but yeah. uh, oh, can we say one yep. thing real quick We're, I know I'm holding everyone up uh, Connor McDavid's goal Jesus Christ against the Rangers Yes, maybe one of the best goals the season, I've ever seen bring up McDavid right now one of the best. I'm going to get annoyed and we're going to spend 25 minutes on this my god that was one of the best goals of all time it was a gorgeous goal it was absolutely incredible and the way you know it was incredible is people who don't give a fuck about hockey were talking about it and to me, the thing that is going to be very cool about ESPN having it is people just habitually pay attention to ESPN, and goals like that provide an opportunity for people to see the parts of the game that draw you in, right? Like, 
anybody who's been watching hockey for a long time can see the little things here or there or, you know, appreciate the totality of a game and things like that. But those highlights right there, that's the stuff that makes you want to buy a ticket to a game. That's, that's the, the casual fan ticket. Well, yeah. yeah, and yeah. we you know, saw and, and a, a lot of people outside of hockey comment on that goal. Um, you know, maybe more so on my side because it was a lot of uh, Canadian athletes, but Alfonso Davies, who's Canada's best men's soccer player, was commenting on that goal. Bar. Uh, you had a, a few uh, Canadian football players who were commenting. So, like, again, you're just you're growing the game outside of just hockey fans at that point when you have goals like that and, and plays like that that go viral. So, it's, I mean, it's Connor McDavid. We're going to see that several times throughout the year, but uh, that is a the best was when he was he was swinging around in, in his post post game presser. It's my job. It's yeah, what I, do. I, I can't. You, you can't always <laughs> I don't know can't always take on four guys, guys on but four on one every night. But uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> that was my favorite part of that. Just so casual, but what I get paid for? Just a so bunch good. of boring Canadians. Uh, so awesome. yeah, we All will right. we will be back next weekend with our regular weekly show. This one here, uh, Monday through Friday, as Stephen mentioned, Puck, uh, Ducks Morning Brew will be on our YouTube channel. Um, just again, I appreciate everybody who's who's enjoyed those so far. I know we've we've heard a lot of people that say it's not always easy to consume an hour podcast, so they like the shorter episodes. So we're going to continue doing those as well. We're going to try and provide some shorter highlight videos for the podcast as well for everybody that can't tune in i mean if you're listening at this point you've already tuned in for the entire thing so maybe this doesn't apply to you but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try and put out some shorter highlight versions of the podcast uh video versions on youtube as well uh and then we're attempting to revive the post game show uh as a, a little bit of an added bonus uh throughout the season uh just reviewing the game and talking to everybody because i know a lot of you like those and being able to come as a post game destination to talk to us so that's in the works and we're trying to put that together so stay tuned we'll have more information on that in the coming weeks and months but uh as for when you'll hear from all of us next it will be next uh, either saturday and sunday and uh, we'll see you all then have a good all one guys everybody. thanks for tuning in